If you're listening to this podcast series and thinking, damn, I'm old, here's another one for you. There's a generation of uninitiated movie fans who think that Rob Zombie's side hustle is music. I mean, it may feel like that these days with Robert now in the pantheon of modern horror movie directors, but let's go back to the end of the 90s, pre-enema of the state. Now, White Zombie had amassed a legion of crossover fans with their groove metal, B-horror movie, and Universal Monster influences, and a series of remixes that got electronic fans to even enjoy the works of the group. But in 1998, Zombie took the step to leave the accomplishments of White Zombie, turning them from a New York art rock act that the likes of Kurt Cobain and Thurston Moore dug into a huge modern-day moral panic that your parents knew it was okay to dig into. His first solo work, Hellbilly Deluxe, lifting a name from Dwight Yoakam's Hellbilly Deluxe album, managed to capture that spirit of fandom that maybe could be comparative to Kiss, definitely so comparable to Misfits or the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Zombie's style of schlock and awe was as much Circus of Horrors as it was Toby Hooper. I mean, there was an excitable, dangerous, macabre spirit to his work. It was akin to sneaking downstairs when your parents went to bed and watching a video nasty. It could have been the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but for me it was sneaking off to watch a copy of Nightmare on Elm Street that I taped off the TV. It was just exciting, and it felt kind of wrong, but kind of right. Zombies music was a theme park ride that gave you those white knuckle moments, but he never pushed the envelope of decency or taste out there too much. I mean, he left that aspect for his celluloid debut, House of a Thousand Corpses, which we'll get into during this podcast. But bands like Slipknot thrived in the debauched, shocking, gonzo behavior that became more eminent in the 2000s, especially when attitudes to violence on film and in music had mellowed out a little. But do you think, Reese, that Zombie deserves a certain respect for not going all out on the violence and instead playing to the themes he would continue with years later, being excited through being scared rather than repulsed. I know he touched on this in the intro, but <laughs> wasn't it all, all of his movies gore? Are you talking more about just his music? I, I can always see by your face when it's like, what do you mean? Okay, so what, what do I mean? The music for me is it, it verges on that kind of horror yeah, it's like watching old um, Universal monster clips, you know, like the werewolf, Creature from the Black Lagoon. I know he incorporates some kind of nastier sides of horror movies in terms of samples, but sonically, I don't think he is quite as visceral compared to the movies. No, I'd agree with that. I think Peter Landau, who I'm pretty sure is the white zombie drummer, he said that Rob was super driven and like focused and had a really good work ethic. He didn't fuck with drugs and alcohol. I'm pretty sure he's been vegan for, what, two decades or something like that. He just seems like a, a very, very, very hyper-focused dude. When they recorded Make Them Die Slowly, the first time, he was like, no, nah, fuck, this sucks, do it again. Then they got interrupted. They had to do it three times. And I think that speaks to his just sort of laser, again, focus on what serves the music and the live show. And unlike Marilyn Manson shoving a microphone up his ass purely for shock or getting too wasted on stage or huffing a dead crow he's like no no no. this song is strong enough and whilst we're wearing big cowboy hats and all our clothes look super crunchy and we need some fabric softener this will hold like i watched a bunch of live sets 
over the past few decades. And he always has like those banners, you know, printed at Officeworks with like the old movie characters on it. Yeah, yeah, man. One set has the, uh, the basis has like a Munsters or Frankenstein base. It looks fucking sick, but it's always calling back to something else. Like here's another Easter egg. It's kind of like Alice Cooper, I guess. He, he walks a, a fine line, but he never crosses over into just pure lame shock. Yeah, I mean, that's a really interesting point, Reese. I mean, much like Alice Cooper for a generation before we were born, do you think that Rob Zombie takes that grand guanal theatrical attitude within live? And perhaps making a comparison to Alice Cooper might be a very good comparison. If not, sonically, then certainly for the performative side of things. Yeah, because I think they're almost sort of playing a, a character on stage. And that character is like, like everyone sort of does, it's sort of a, a bit more accentuated version of themselves. But both of them are kind of a bit of shock and a bit of horror and a lot of theatrics and a bit of theatre of the mind. But I think also both of them don't really talk politics. Like Alice Cooper is famous for saying, you know, I don't want to talk politics. Politics and rock and roll have no place together. Something I kind of disagree on just by the nature of how the world works. But I'm pretty sure Rob Zombie is the same to a degree. Now, to be fair, he did do a two-hour Joe Rogan interview, and I love this podcast, and I love doing it with you, Benji. I will never listen to Joe Rogan for the sake of research. I've done a lot of horrendous, heinous things. I've given a lot of goddamn money to sponsors for this podcast. I'm not sitting through even a three-minute Joe Rogan clip. I I, I can't do it. Now, we could talk about the movie side of things for, like, ages, but I let's concentrate on how Billy Deluxe, the album, more importantly here. And straight off the bat, I just want to ask you, Reese, what were your thoughts on it? Um, I like it. Were you a white zombie fan? No, I wasn't. I, I reckon it was. I reckon this is the one, one of the few times where it's like our age difference sort of comes into it because you're three years older than me. Yeah, so I was. I was reading like. Hot Metal, which was an Australian metal magazine that we used to get in New Zealand. So I was reading through like the kind of press bullshit about white zombie. Oh, they're Satanists and, you know, they're into like Charles Manson and stuff like that. If I go back to the Alice Cooper reference, a lot of people might have felt the same way. Like this guy's dangerous and he's poisoned towards our children and our American ideals. And yeah, you end up actually listening to them out of character so to speak and they're very intellectual and i loved white zombie because for me it was weird and it was that kind of horror movie aesthetic where you were intrigued you were learning about death at a bit of a younger age and you started to get like god forbid i say this that little bit of a bloodlust your first kind of experience towards violence in cinema so I love the fact that I read about White Zombie and he's using Night of the Living Dead references. And so, yeah, you're right. I think it's an age thing because I grew up in that age of late 80s, early 90s horror movie vibes. Yeah. And I think you kind of came afterwards around maybe like the 90s to late 90s metaverse. Of, slasher. Yeah, you know, kind of like a throwback to the 80s, 70s style slasher but with more of a kind of contemporary nod and wink at the viewer, which is interesting because I do think that with this album, there's a lot of nods and a lot of winks, not only to white zombie fans, but also to 
counterculture fans as a whole, man. We're looking at, it was a 24-page inlay, and you and I both know we love a good inlay when we used to pick up CDs. It had Marvel comic illustrators doing the artwork. It had Basil Gogos, who was basically an artist for Famous Monsters of Filmland, which he basically did a whole bunch of Universal Monsters style shit. Um, and references samples are plenty and i i fucking loved it but i want to point out reese this is perhaps the only solo rob zombie album that i loved oh sinister urge i liked sinister urge but then i also think that as unfair as it might be to say i think around the time sinister urge came out or was that 2001 he was knee deep in his first movie and i think the priority went towards that I'm not saying it's a bad album. I'm just saying that as a white zombie fan, I definitely preferred How Billy Deluxe because it felt very much like it was steeped in everything that made white, made white zombie cool and it kind of just transitioned over. Kind of helped he had most of his original band uh, doing music for him as well. And Tommy Lee and Danny Loner. Yeah, Danny Loner pops up quite a bit. I think... Didn't Terry Date produce some of Rob Zombie's works as well? I believe so, yeah, man. Yeah, I think Tommy Lee had just gotten out of jail and he was staying at someone's house and they were, rec- Rob, like, Scott and Rob were recording and they were like, you know, Tommy Lee's upstairs. And they're like, let's get him down. So he came down and added drums for, like, what, Meet the Creeper and the Ballad of Resurrection Joe and Rosa Hoare. Like, pretty cool. I fucking love the song titles as well, <laughs> This just straight off the top of my dome, Bomb Funk MC style, Tommy Lee... More versatile drummer than Travis Barker? What do you think? I think yes. What does Dr. Drums think? I actually don't know, man. I should I, I should have asked him to do something. I think if Travis Barker had drummed on this album, I would have picked up on it straight away, but I didn't pick up on Tommy Lee. Like, you got him doing Methods of Mayhem, him doing Motley Crue, him doing this. It's pretty cool. He probably does other stuff. I don't know. I'm not huge on the Tommy Lee stuff. But if you think about when this album came out, so for you, it's like, wow, the guy from White Zombie is doing the thing. I'm 12 years old. I remember taping this off the radio, Got the Life. Yeah. I don't like the drugs, but the drugs like me and Dragula. <laughs> You've got two bands that are relatively new coming out with like all the media behind them. And then it's like, oh, this guy who's already had fame and success, that's speaking more to you. Whereas me, like I'm, I'm, f- I'm fully like lured into the woods by Korn and, and Marilyn Manson at that stage. But I think that's that is the beauty of music, though, isn't it? Is is what is old to me might be completely brand new to someone else. You know, it's that it's the adage that I do with bands. You know, when a band gets bored of playing their tracks, ah, oh, we're bored of the CP now. It's like you are, but there's probably a whole bunch of people that have never seen you before that want to hear that stuff. I disagree because I saw so many bands play the same fucking set. I'm like, we've all seen it. Move on, you dogs. And they're like, no, we love it. It's like. It was good the first three times. Get a new opening song. Fucking hell. Yeah, but is that in the same location or not? Yeah, yeah, it's in a small scene. Okay, well, the, the, then that's different, man. It's like no one wants to see a band play the same set four nights in a row at the same venue. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Unless you're MGMT playing the power station, you know. Um, You mentioned Dragula. Fuck, it was hard to get away from that single, wasn't it? It was big it's fucking huge and i've got something like obviously that guitar sounds great the, the fact that the kick drum is relentless and just doesn't let up and you can just get lost in the song and it sounds thick but some of the best parts are those little synth flourishes 
all those little arpeggiated bits. Listen, I've just got a bunch of them from Dragula. <laughs> That's awesome. And you can definitely hear why electronica fans kind of not even begrudgingly they they liked it you know i remember i was in nottingham when rob zombie was touring hellbilly deluxe and i, I mean i was just there trying to pick up some video games and shit like that you know trading junk in so i, I was just fucking soulfly cargo trousers mate nirvana t-shirt Probably not this Nirvana t-shirt that I'm wearing right now, but this is the exact Nirvana t-shirt I wore when we first met at Baccio. Oh man, you could have washed it. Why? It's got your scent on it. <laughs> Lynx Africa. Lynx Africa. <laughs> nah, Jenkum. Uh, so I was, and it was, it was fucking weird, man, because I don't know if you'll get this reference. I hope people out there may do. Simon might get it. There is a, a movie called Zombie Flesh Eaters, and there's this zombie look there is basically caked in mud, looking like Nine Inch Nails playing Woodstock, you know? It's very kind of rotting, organic. And as I came out of the train station, there was like a oh, fucking ton of people that looked like these flower pot zombies, and I was just... One part of me was unnerved, like, what what the hell's happening here? But then the other part of me immediately just went, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're Rob Zombie fans. Rob Zombie's playing tonight at Rock City, isn't he? That's cool. But then the more and more closer that I got to the venue, because it was, like, up towards, like, the university area of Nottingham, <clears throat> suddenly that transition from mud-covered flowerpot zombies to, like, fucking dreadful cyber gothy kind of and then like i'd go to a cd store and i'd hear people going oh yeah man that rob zombie yeah, i got tickets for it like you're wearing a kango jacket why the fuck are you off to see rob zombie and i, I would say it's because of dragula or those samples that you've like brought up and, and highlighted and I think that is the reason for the crossover appeal and why it was huge and the music video was just fucking massive. I mean, if it appeared in Devin Sauer's classic Idle Hands, you know that it's big. So speaking of those samples, you've got Daughters of Darkness, 1971, Lady Frankenstein, 1971, mm -hmm. Last House on the Left, 1972, and The City of the Dead, 1960. Now, I'm, I'm going to assume they cleared all these because when they did the white, one of the White Zombie albums, they didn't clear any of them. They were just recording them from like the TV screen. And then they got done yeah. by like, oh, I actually got the book Sinister Urge to read about Rob Zombie to try and, you know, because I knew you, you were a big fan and you were jonesing about this. And I was thinking with all the samples and being a big thing of Rob Zombie in like these old movies, and you've seen his Cribs episode, yeah, where his house is just decked out in old horror movie paraphernalia. Oh, he's, he's just a, I, I, and if, if you're listening to this, Robert, I'm sorry, but you're a big fucking movie geek and I fucking love you. You're like Metal's Kevin Smith. Oh, I actually really believe he's the horror genre's Kevin Smith. Like, some great ideas. Devout fan base who just dress like him, like you mentioned before. A really great storyteller, but I think ultimately struggles to get a really good movie 
and sometimes even album over the line. Like it's like, yeah, you were able to promote it really well. You do podcasts really, really well. Your fans love it, but you're still like, oh, Clerks Three is gonna be good. It's like, yeah, because Clerks One happened in what 1990. Let's let it. Let's move on. You know. And I still think people are like, oh, the guy who did, uh, you know, House of a Thousand Corpses, or the guy who did Dragula. It's like that was so long ago, guys. What's what's he done that's been good since? But Reese, you gotta look at it. You gotta contextualize it in this. Kevin Smith will do Clerks Mallrats because he's basically a comic book fan that's built up this entire version of the. It's called the Viewer Skewerverse. Yeah. So he's doing basically like crossovers from one of his favorite formats, comic books, and I think that Rob Zombie's doing the same. He definitely with House of a Thousand Corpses. Devil's Rejects and Three From Hell, as they're all contained as a trilogy based around the Firefly family. So the only difference is that I will still watch and happily pay money to go and see what Rob Zombie's doing, whether it be his cartoon, uh, was it The Adventures of El Super Beast? I probably got that wrong. Or uh, I'm looking forward to uh, The Monsters, which he's now doing with Sherry. He loves The Monsters. Oh, absolutely. Which was interesting. You brought up the bass player had The Monsters. Uh, is it Monsters or Frankenstein? I'm, I'm, it's one of the two. Well, you know, Herman Monster's just a knockoff Frankenstein, right? Yeah. yeah, but I just think it's like you've got a Rob Zombie and Kevin Smith both like really pushing their thing. Like, ah, oh, horror movies are my thing. You should check this out, this out, this out. Comic books are my thing and superheroes. You need to check this out, this out. And then when they finally get a chance to make a movie, it's like, Oh, cop out. Okay. Well, and you get some people like, no, give Red State a go. Oh, no, Zack and Miri's pretty good. Oh, you know, th- that Salem movie's pretty good. It's like, are they really? And then, you know, you get fucked in the face by like Yoga Hoses or Halloween 2. <laughs> and Rob Zombie will blame the studio's interference on that sort of stuff. And Kevin Smith will blame Bruce Willis. And yes, Rob Zombie did get fucked over by the studio. Massively for House of a Thousand Corpses. And Halloween and Halloween 2. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that when we talk about the movie side of things. Going back to the samples, I was thinking, does Rob Zombie like have to fucking use horror samples? And would Dragula sound as good if it was like a comedy movie samples? Like maybe even Billy Madison? Oh, God. Shampoo is better. I go on first and clean the Everybody my age pees their pants in Doyle rules. Did you make that? Yeah, I made it. What is it with you and Billy Madison? My friend Connor and I argue about this a lot. Now, usually the things I say are genius, and Connor, he recognizes this. He still can't get over the fact that I can't reckon with... Billy Madison somehow knew O'Doyle's whole family was going to go down somehow. Now, 
there's some sort of like karma out there for the O'Doyle family. I just don't know how, why Billy Madison had to say, O'Doyle, I've got a feeling your whole family's going down. How did he know? Why did they drive over a cliff? Because he went back in time. Is it Looper? That's a sequel. Billy Madison 2, the Billy Fly effect. <laughs> so yeah, no, the, the samples are there just as accompaniments, you know? It's kind of like... What's a drum equivalent of like, oh, I just want to add a little flourish there. A flourish? I'm going to call it a flourish, yeah. A splash symbol. The samples are there, but the samples are also there because they're kind of weird. They're kind of unnerving. And so, I mean, it probably didn't help the fact that I I, I knew what the samples were in Dragula anyway. So when you put in Billy Madison, I'm, I'm immediately like, yeah, but it's still unnerving hearing that while all that kind of weird psychedelic kind of whining is happening at the start there's an argument that people have that uh this wasn't the album that broke rob zombie the uh, actually his breakthrough was astro creep 2000 which was the last white zombie album would you agree or disagree with that as someone who's not too familiar with zombies works i definitely knew rob zombie the name rob zombie this album hellbilly deluxe much more than I'd ever heard about White Zombie. So for a guy born in the mid-80s, I think this album was his breakthrough thing. And then it was straight away into like, he's doing movies. Yeah. He's going to do a movie. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be like R-rated. It's going to be fucked up. I don't know too much about White Zombie. Yeah, but I mean, he he was just a massive favorite on MTV anyway. And like before Dracula came out, MTV was already churning through fucking more human than human electric head part two the ecstasy and it was at that stage when you we were watching it it's like these are events you know like i i would look forward to like what the next rob zombie music video would be which is maybe more of a mark of a director than perhaps more of a mark of a musician like i know musically it's gonna be fucking great like thundercast 65 had me during white zombie eras you know but it was like oh shit there's a new rob zombie music video it's like i'm game man like if fucking more human than human was an absolute killer video and then dragula came out and then everybody jumped on dragula and then it's like oh how's he gonna top this because this is groovy as shit Boom, straight off the bat, living dead girl. Going back to like White Zombie, I'm just going to say some things and I wonder if you can tell me the connection between Rob Zombie or or White Zombie here. The movie Airheads. It's either they appeared on the soundtrack or that they actually provided the music that the bandits themselves in the movie. Is that correct or am I completely off? So is it Chris Farley goes in to to find one of the the female members of the band and White Zombie are playing and they're playing Feed the Gods. And then Barbara Streisand, do you know what the link between her and Rob Zombie is there? I could only say maybe Chris Christopherson. So she blasted Thunderkiss 65 at her wedding to deter the paparazzi. It's a good fucking call, man. It's a great fucking call. Also, I mean, these ones are more well-known. Pee-wee's Playhouse? No, go on, man. Rob Zombie was a production assistant on the show. Was that the original or when it got revived? I think the original. That would make sense because Tim Burton was involved in it, right? Potentially, I'm not super sure. 
The last one. This is fucking your ultimate Venn diagram. Gully Gasper slash Diesel slash Big Sky, also known as Tyler Maine. Do you know who that is? Yeah, I know who Tyler Maine is, man. So he ended up playing Sabretooth in the X-Men movie that Sony put out with uh, Hugh Jackman, your countryman. Uh, and then he also ended up playing uh, the adult Michael Myers in the Halloween movies, didn't he? There we go. A former wrestler who did wrestle in Japan as well. Yep. Playing a serial killer in a Rob Zombie horror movie. He's not the only wrestler to to have worked with Rob Zombie, though. And uh, Werewolf Woman of the SS in that trailer, it had... I've forgotten now. His, his name was Vladimir Kozlov when he was a wrestler and also a guy called Test who was debuted in the WWE as the roadie for Motley Crue who had Tommy Lee. Oh my and God. Tommy Lee happened to feature in Mind Blown. Also, the Sinister Urge was used as Adam Copeland, otherwise known as Edge, his theme music on SmackDown when he returned to the WWE. So, yeah, he's uh, maybe for me, Rob Zombie's just ticked all of my boxes in terms of all of my interesting things. Metal music, fantastic. Horror movies, fantastic. Comic books, fantastic wrestling yeah i'm guessing he knows bits or pieces about it and to work with nick cage i'm still waiting for a fucking long form movie with rob zombie featuring nick cage if only he was involved in fucking video games man that is a full benji bukaki session well you know he featured in twisted metal too oh true yeah yeah yeah. Man, man. i never played twisted metal i fucking played thrill kill a lot like it's like that's the band game yeah did you download it no my my uncle was elite hacker he's yeah. part of anonymous uh, I don't know if that's true. But uh, yeah, he got me Thrill Kill. He was chipping PlayStations before it was cool. Yeah, man. I, and then Thrill Kill went on to become Wu-Tang Taste of Pain, didn't it? I thought it went on to become Cooler World. No. It's still I'm... my favorite beach ball game. It seemed that the more and more we talk about this era of metal as well, Reese, just an aside, the more and more we bring up video game soundtracks. So do you think that there was definitely a point in time where licensees and sync licensing people looked to video games as a form of easy promotion because you had Gran Turismo 2 had a fantastic soundtrack with like garbage Foo Fighters. Uh, Wipeout was a big soundtrack for those that are into Big Beat and Electronica and Tony Hawk's was big for fans of punk music. So do you think it was fair to say that at that time in the 2000s video games became even more prominent form of promotion than music videos. It's probably like for every door that is closed, the window is open. It's like, hey, Napster is here. It's fucking up our lives. LimeWire, Kazar, and Lars is like, you guys go on. I'll hold them back. And Lars is sort of like up against the door and, and they're trying to push in and steal all their, their songs and stuff. And then the window's open. It's like, everyone get out here. It's like, what? Tony Hawk Pro Skater? What are you doing here? He's like, don't worry, Blood Brothers by Papa Roach. Come out here, let's go, let's go. And I think and I think as the record labels were like, we don't know really how we're gonna make this coin back. And it's like PS1, or at that stage it was just called PlayStation. Yeah, do you wanna be a part of this soundtrack? It's like, okay, yeah. And that Tony Hawk soundtrack in particular was just pumping through your ears over and over and oh, over and over it was again. Such a good mix. And the trick was it was passive it was a passive form of promotion as well. It wasn't like you had to directly go and well this was pre-YouTube. So you'd have to like watch like Rage Overnight or you would have to find a real shitty 
real media download of a music video. Meanwhile, you could just pick up your favorite video game and then suddenly uh, Dragula's being played in the background. You're like, oh shit, I really like that song. Who is it? So it was a passive form of promotion. It was just there. And if you picked up on it, great. But they were going to get paid anyway for a licensing deal. So then they also pick up a bit more coin because I don't know. I, I would go out my way and pick up a Mad Capsule Markets album because of uh, the Tony Hawk's 2 soundtrack. Definitely. When they announced that like they were redoing the Tony Hawk Pro Skater 1 and 2 for like Switch, PlayStation, Xbox, whatever, the, one of the first questions was, what soundtrack is it going to have? And they were like, you know what? It's going to be the original soundtrack. Plus, if you want, there's going to be some new songs. And it's like from your area. And, you know, there were some Australian artists on there. And it's like, people lost their mind. Like, that was big news. It's like, they're on the Tony Hawk one. One of my friend's bands was on a FIFA soundtrack. And I remember them talking about that. Like, yeah, it's pretty cool. We got like a free PlayStation. We got some free stuff. And, you know, obviously they got some money as well. But yeah, it was it, like, that's what made the news. Now, Reese, I, I actually uh, undertook the advertising side of things this week. Yeah, sweet. Do you, do you need the money? Do you want the company credit card? No, 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 no. It's fine, actually. It's something that I've uh, invested in myself because I thought it was a great idea. I mean, all this talk yeah, about cool. movies, horror movies, Grindhouse, 70s horror movie exploitation, exploitation. Yeah. I actually had uh, a movie company come up to me and say, look, we're about to re-release this on DVD and Blu-ray. W- would you be interested in advertising it? And I thought... Yeah, it kind of works synergy with this so uh this ladies and gentlemen is a reissue of a 2000s horror movie from australasia let's check it out eh it was supposed to be an idyllic summer away from college well, I honestly cannot wait until we've left the city limits of our puritanical town to engage in activities our parents think are abominable because that's what North American teenagers in the 80s did. Listen to awful new wave music and get laid. And get drunk. And smoke weed we may find in an old abandoned camp. It was supposed to be the trip of a lifetime. Here we are, guys. Bulls. But not all trips are good. In fact, some trips can be bad. Hey guys, I'm Glint. Thanks for coming to play. We got you in the sheep shearing shed on this day, and I hope that works out. Sometimes trips should be avoided at all costs. But if not, some trips need preparation. Alright, soundcheck gang. We ready to set up? Cool. Where's the drum kit? Guys, guys, have you seen the drum kit? Fear is a beat. Fear cannot be beat. <sighs> Jesus Christ, someone from another band. Uh, they can lend me a bass drum, but I still need a second bass drum for the double kicking. Just make do <laughs> what we've got. How, how, how do I make do? We haven't got anything. Oh, God, they're knocking on the door. Walk the line. Jesus Christ, we've got 30 minutes left before we're... I can't do a renegade set again. I just can't. Snap out of it. Hold the line. There's all these people that are just just there staring because we're having to play bass through a borrowed guitar amp and they don't like how much I'm pushing the low end. These pedals need a Oh my god, someone from Inertia, the head is serious. 
there would be a backline. There's always a backline. The backline. Evil has many faces. A pissed off sound engineer. <laughs> Coming to Netflix, if it still exists by the time you listen to this podcast. Or maybe Roku. Or Apple Plus. Yeah. Maybe not Amazon Prime, though. They're a bit more classier than that. So probably Netflix. Although, again, maybe not. You know, we laugh about that. But to be honest with you, I'm pretty sure that there is a ton of musicians listening to this thinking... Fuck, I'd hate to be in that situation where I thought there was a drum backline and there is no drum backline. I got one worse for you. Go As on. you get older, yep. and you get a bit more disposable income, and people are just like, oh no, no, I don't want to borrow a kit, it's fine. I'll bring my own. It's like, oh no, we'll supply it. It's like, no, 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 I'll bring my own. Don't worry. I'm really quick at changing over mid-set. It's like, oh, Fuck are you? That. Now you may be, but you have to take up most of the stage. The sound guy has to come and mic it all up, do a quick line check again, get all the mics in position, whilst your guitarist, bassist, you know, keyboard player, singer, all that stuff gets set up. It's like, fucking just use what's supplied. And there's a thing pretty common throughout a lot of Asia, but definitely in China, and it's really clever, and I wish more fucking places did it. Orange will go up to a venue in Shanghai and say, you know what, we're going to have a lot of bands touring through here. They're not all going to have amps. Rather than hiring them, we'll give you three orange amps. There you go. And they're just always forever on stage. You want a drum kit? There you go. It's there. And what happens when Die 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 come through town or Mac DeMarco comes through town or Dennis from Refuse comes through town and his new project? It's them on stage. And what amps are they going through? Orange. Orange amps. And it costs orange three fucking amps. That's it. And they're on that stage in every fucking photo. Everyone is staring at them all night long. And the band's like, for the most part, we don't have to bring an amp. Fuck yeah. Now, there's always some bands like, we need our special amps or we need our special marshals. Fuck that, you do. Just play, your psychos. <laughs> anyway, I will definitely see that movie. That is true horror. Reese, Rob Zombie's got a devout following. Hellbillies, shall we call them. You ever think that at any point in time, Hellbillies might have rivaled Juggalos? In terms of fandom? Um, are they throwing their own festivals? No, I don't think so. I don't think... I think Rob Zombie's happy to jump on... Well, he he does film festivals now as well, doesn't he? I mean, he's he really has transitioned from being a musician to being uh, a film auteur. He still does music. Uh, I mean, his last release was 2021, wasn't it? Which is kind of interesting because everything I read online was like, his movies aren't that good. He keeps making them and he's obviously got his connections. He's able to source funding, but he's probably better than like a lot of amateur directors, but he's unable to sort of take that next step into like that big critical mass or something that makes the studios really happy. Now, Halloween, I am aware the studio was really, really happy, but they were basically like, yo, this is Halloween. Don't fuck it up. And when it was successful, Halloween 2, they were like, yo, this is really successful. Don't fuck it up for us. So the studio control was there. But like what good movies has he honestly made? house of a thousand corpses yeah but like how long ago was that yeah but you gotta look at it from uh from a filmmaking side of things you know there's a reason why people are saying his movies aren't great that's because a lot of his movies now are going straight to shudder where he's got that artistic freedom rather than being limited by a major studio he wants to do that nasty kind of like grim texas chainsaw massacre you know wolf creek 
as an Australian movie that has those tenets of, um, you know, that kind of sun-drenched horror, uh, Turkey Shoot, which is another Australian horror movie as well. So he is really, really happy to do that nasty grindhouse shock kind of, you know, very visceral, very unnerving style of horror. Unfortunately, that style of horror movie isn't popular on the big screen anymore, you know? Which is why we had a wraith of, like, PG-13 horror movies that came out at the time, because they gentrified the kind of scary aspect. I mean, Midsummer was a great movie. I loved Midsummer, but was it as successful in terms of box office as it was in terms of the actual critical appeal of it? Yeah, but there's got to be some sort of something that crosses over. Wolf Creek is a great example. Low budget, Saw, another one. Low budget, but then crossed over to the mainstream. Uh, Mandy, Revenge would be some more. Pig with Nick Cage. I really enjoyed that. Well, Nick Cage is a good one because he also had that movie where he was going to that thing and there was the animatronics what was that one called that thing with the animatronics you mean willie's wonderland bro yeah willie's yeah, wonderland that's yeah. a good movie so whilst i'm not like overly into those movies a bunch of people who also aren't were like hey i heard this is good we should watch it whereas i don't know how many people are saying that about rob zombie and let's say he's got all the creative freedom on shutter are his movies any better for it yeah i'd say they are because he is uh he's a student of film not everyone's going to enjoy the aesthetic. Like, not everyone's going to enjoy listening to uh, fucking Part Chimp or Polvo, you know. But you and I know a, a whole bunch of people that are digging into Polvo. But just because some critics... And it depends where the where the critiques are coming from, Reese. you know. If I was... If you go to, like, horror movie blogs like Bloody Disgusting or uh, Dead Meat with uh, James A. Janice, who is fucking brilliant, might I add then yeah, because they're horror movie fans and because they are deeply routed within that kind of culture of what Rob Zombie is trying to have permeate throughout his works, then yeah, you know, I've I've seen a lot of people that have said that they thought Three From Hell was a fantastic movie. I've seen a lot of people say that Lords of Salem was was a lot of fun. But I also have seen a lot of people turn around and shit on uh, <laughs> Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, which is directed by one of my favourite movie directors of all time, Sam Raimi, who did one of my favourite horror movies of all time, Evil Dead 2. And I've seen people shit on that. So I, as much as this is a cop-out answer, everything is fucking relative these days because everybody who's got an internet connection thinks that they're a critic. What makes us different critiquing new metal albums and anecdoting our lives around it when someone else could have turned around and said, man, the albums that they pick are absolute shit. Why can't they pick like white stripes and stuff like that? Because me and you, Reese, we're playing to our audience, which is what I think Rob Zombie is comfortable doing now because his audiences, much like with Kevin Smith audiences, have come to expect a certain kind of cult kind of like tropes that have been built in by kevin smith and now built in by rob zombie they've come to expect that so if you're not part of the fandom of course you're gonna think it's weird and shit but if you're part of the fandom i would imagine that you get it 
which is probably the most intelligent fucking answer I've ever given on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I mean, just to mention that he's a student of the game, you know, that, that trailer that he did for Tarantino and Robert Rodriguez, um, he was quoted on the whole idea how he did it, and it was... I was getting very conceptual with uh, in my own mind with it. A lot of times these movies would be made like, well, you know, I've got a whole bunch of Nazi uniforms, but I got this Chinese set too. So let's just put them together. They start jamming things in there. So I took that approach. And that is definitely if you if you read into how European horror movies were made and how when drive-in cinema was so, so popular that there's a lot of horror movies that way. That advert that I did is basically a nod to American audiences when there was a European horror movie, especially British horror movies, Reese. They would redub the 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 narration because film studios thought English horror movies probably wouldn't be as popular as American slashes. So they redubbed it and it's it's brilliant. So much like musically with Alice Cooper that we talked about at the start of the episode. He is a student of the game, be that game music or be that game movies. And also as a Rob Zombie fan, fuck the critics, man. Go fuck yourselves. But here's what I think. I think that he's a man of great ethics, determination, good, really good work, work ethic, good virtues, values, had really good ideas at the start and was like this sort of proto DIY kind of guy like White Zombie started with in the New York noise scene yeah, playing with did. like swans and Sonic Youth and shit. And then they, they thrust onto the main stage and White Zombie imploded because they just weren't enjoying it. Rob Zombie didn't want to fucking bar them by the end and was burnt out and all that shit. And then it's one really good album. And then it's sort of like all these other little projects. And it's like your projects aren't that good, but I, I love how you conduct yourself and I love your passion. And I think you've got really good interest. You're, you're a very smart man. But when it comes to the clutch moments of delivering something fucking good in particular movies that has, uh, you know, you can keep playing to your audience directly, but those moments where he's tried to like deal with the major movie studios, it just hasn't worked out because he doesn't have that skill set or he's too hyper-focused or whatever it might be. And if you watch Halloween, his version, it's pretty fucking ham-fisted and it's pretty horror movie 101 where you know everything's quite obvious and i just think great dude great ideas great communicator really productive but diminishing returns if you look at what he's been doing i i think and yes you can say yeah he's really popular on shut at the moment but you're always going to have a core fan base that's going to stick with you I yeah think. of it's course of, of course you are but then does he really fucking care about doing mainstream movies anymore well, it'd be interesting to see because he obviously had a crack at it, didn't enjoy it. Now, it'd be interesting to see if another opportunity comes up. Well, it'll be in a month as well, won't it? So I think hey, that's maybe true. we put a pin in this for the moment, Reese. We see how the monsters go down and then we'll come back to it. And if I'm wrong, I'll put my hands up and go, yeah, that that really, really sucked. But I'm hoping it's going to be really good. I like the Adams Family, the original Adams Family movies because they really got that kind of combination of... This is pretty fucking dark and macabre, but it's also managed to kind of like lightheartedly bring about, you know, like comedy horrors, you know, like Return of the Living Dead, which is massively, mm -hmm. or Evil Dead 2, Splatstick. So how about me and you, we come back once the monsters have been released and uh, <laughs> we pick up on that conversation again. Um, 
now I've got a game for you, Reese. Oh, fuck. Okay, yep. Why, why oh, fuck, man. I, I thought I liked the games, but I actually, when you did one for the uh, Creed episode, it's was, it was a lot of pressure. It's a lot more pressure than I realised. That's like staring down the barrel of a gun, isn't it? So so while I'm loading this up, just before we, we, we go into this, um, having listened to the album, having listened to How Billy Deluxe, are you more inclined now to maybe go back and check some of White Zombie's works out? Or I did go back and revisit White Zombie, and I did know more than I thought I did. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's good, it's, it's cool, but I don't know if I'll ever really listen to it. But I did just highlight a few things that I thought were really, really, really interesting. So I thought Demonoid Phenomenon... Yeah, where you're not sure, sort of like there's all this sort of rhythmic stuff happening. It's like I think it's just drums and guitars for the most part. But have a listen. It's just it's pretty hypnotic. And I love this part. And I, th- I think, like, I love the idea of, like, that you're always holding back a guitar and it just wants to make as much noise as possible and you just sort of, like, playing a chord is is keeping it satiated and then it finally lets go and it's just like that, that wah-wah little bit there. But Rob Zombie is really, really good at transitioning between parts of a song. Okay. And I think that shows it. So I, I think he's really, really good at that. And also, what lurks on Channel X? Yeah. That's a pretty fucking great track as well. So I like all that stuff, but it did remind me of a horror version of the Avalanches, Frontier Psychiatrist. Okay. That boy needs can you hear that? Yeah. So I thought that was really, really cool. I thought there was enough layers. I, I, I thought it was a really good album, but it's maybe not something I'll revisit too often. No. But it may be, you know, the case of Star Wars and Blink-182. It's like if you got into White Zombie at the right time. Yeah. And, and you're into these hardcore horror movies because I realize I'm a Philistine when it comes to this shit because – when I was listening to Rob Zombie, I'm like, ooh, did Static X do it better? It's like, no, they didn't. But did, am I more familiar with Static X? Yes, I yes, am. Yes, yeah, and no, I get that. I can understand that. I think a lot of the charm for Rob Zombie as a whole is the Easter eggs, like you mentioned, that he lays down, which which definitely have affected me in terms of popular culture. Which I can understand. If you're someone who loves those kind of movies, not many people know them. And I'm imagining a lot of your friends probably probably didn't even enjoy it as much as you did. So it's like suddenly you've got someone who's making music that you like, who's been like, I like these things too, and I'll prove it. I'll reference them and I'll pay homage to them. And you're like, yeah. fuck yes, Rob Zombie, you are speaking my language. So I, I definitely understand that. And I, I kind of, I'm jealous of that connection, if I'm honest. It's up there with when Silverchair used to wear band t-shirts in music videos, you know, and you'd see, oh, shit, who's this band tool? I'll check them out, you know. For me, it was like, where's that sample come from? Oh, shit, it's come from, like, Cafe Flesh. Billy Madison. Billy Madison, yeah. Or, you know, it, it's come from some obscure movie title, and Rob Zombie 
it's like if Rob Zombie's including kind of like Legend of the Overfiend references, then no doubt I'm going to probably want to check out all these other horror movie references. So, you know, I think there are two kinds of Rob Zombie fans. I think that there's the Rob Zombie fans that love him for the music because of the groove metal aspect to it, which, let's be honest, man, is fucking incredible. It's up there with Sepultura in terms of how groovy and heavy it can be. And then I think there's the Rob Zombie fans that love him for the fact that he does pay homage to all of these weird and wonderful, you know, you watch on Cribs, the artwork that he's picked up. You know, it's he's really into that macabre and occult side of things. So, yeah, for me, I'm in both camps. I'm that Venn diagram. I'm in the middle. I'm like the cream and the donut. <laughs> the cream pie. Speaking of cream. <laughs> Speaking of cream, are you ready for the game, Reese? Yes, I am. Now, these are going to appear on Instagram. I will make sure that Reese includes these on Instagram. And me being a horror movie fan, I wanted to do something in homage to Rob Zombie. So, on this oh. occasion, Reese, welcome to the game. And the game is called the All African Movie Poster Game. Yes, Reese, these are movie posters that have been created in either Ghana or Nigeria, just based on the fact that sometimes video cassette artwork or movie artwork doesn't make it out there. Same thing in Poland and other countries that artists have basically got to interpret the information they've given in order to sell things, okay? So I've got five here for you. They could be difficult, but I'm hoping you'll get some of them. Reese, are you ready to hit that tick? All right, hit that tick. Movie poster number one. What the hell is this movie, Reese? Okay, we've got... Oh, it's Chucky. He's got a gun, and he's shooting at the sky, and he's got a knife in a woman's shoulder. Is it... What movie? Is it The Bride of Chucky? Ah, you're the same as Maeve. Look, I'm going to give you that, Reese. okay? It was, in fact, the artist's rendition of Child's Play, okay? So that's one from one. Yeah! Right. Uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, that's cool. I'm into that. That's cool. Reminds me a lot of Casey's artwork. Question two. This classic had sequels, remakes, and all sorts. But what is the movie series? Alright, there's a guy in a chair getting his legs chopped off. There's a, a person getting cut open with a chainsaw. I mean, my mind goes to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. My mind's telling me no! But you're right. You're quite right, oh. Reese. <laughs> yeah! That's right. It's the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Look at that. Look at that there as well, man. Look at that fucking axe to the face as well. Very, very brutal. Don't miss this. This is no. cool. Yeah, I'll put these on Instagram. This rules. Oh, man. Right, two from two. Next. Who's a good boy, eh? Who's a good doggo? What's this horror okay. movie, Reese? Ah. Oh. Has to be Cujo. It's a giant dog. It's either Cujo or Clifford. Yeah! Yeah, yes. man, it is Cujo, not Clifford, you know. I should have said, I should have not said horror movie. Like, how many horror movies are there out there with dogs? A bit of an obscure one here for you, Reese, but as a Scream fan, Wes Craven directed this movie from the 80s. Okay, so it's a guy who's lifting his own head off. His shoulders. He was to investigate... And he had the shock of his life. Hmm. Oh. This is a bit of a difficult one for you, man. I actually 
have zero idea about what this one would be. I'm sorry. Uh, that was The Serpent and a Rainbow. I don't even know what that is, but yeah, that cover man, is, is fucking truly nuts, wild. right? <laughs> right, so what was it? We're on we're on three from four, man. You've done well. You've done really Thank well. You. And uh finally, this stub muffin's gonna take you to the bank. Not a horror movie, action movie, but Oh my god. Fucking hell that face, man. Does that does so that face is a guy who looks a bit like Steven Seagal maybe ish but does that look anything like one of the actors in the movie? Yes. Okay. Is it like payback or ransom? No, but you're on you were on the right track. Under siege? Was that a Steven Seagal movie? Hey! <laughs> yeah! Fucking hell. That's doing Steven Seagal some compliments there, isn't it? Yeah, Jesus yeah, yeah, yeah. Christ, yeah. man. Well, thanks for playing, Reese. Four out of five. I I thought that that Serpent and the Rainbow one would would be difficult, but uh, it's, oh it's my definitely God. that a, was awesome. Thank you. Worth checking out, man. Definitely worth checking out. So, although me and Reese may disagree about Rob Zombie's filmography, I think we're both in agreement that his first solo work is is brilliant. Yeah, um, but like Reese quite rightly articulated, I think if you're a big, big fan of Rob Zombie like I am, you probably dig a whole bunch of the references along with the music. But yo, check out, check out Astro Creep, check out, um, fucking all of the works of what. Even going back to when they were a New York art rock band, because it's really interesting seeing how they've come along. I only just learned the term "Living Dead Girl" from this out. Like I knew. I'd heard the song, but I didn't know what it meant in the horror movie world. Okay. Did you know? It was a uh, Jean Rollin kind of erotic horror movie from the 70s. Oh, I thought it was, and I could be wrong on this, I thought it was someone in a movie who you know is going to die. So not like a final girl. So it's like, yeah, you know that, spoiler alert, Tatum, that's a living dead girl. We know she's going to die, but she's currently in the movie and she's walking around, she's talking. I could be wrong on that. Maybe they lifted that from Rob Zombie then. When did Scream Potentially, come out? Actually. 97, 98? Maybe people borrowed yeah. that trope. Yeah. Not sure. I did watch a, a review of um, Halloween and they said that this is a living dead girl. I was like, oh, maybe, maybe that's what it means. I put that together. Maybe that's fucking wrong. Blanket alleged. You know, you can't come at me for anything I've ever said or ever will say. It's infinity germlock. And on that note, Reese, what have we got coming up in the next episode about your death trip? All going to plan, it will be Drowning Pool Sinner. So I'm going to say goodbye from myself. And Reese. what do we say at the end of every episode? Tell your smart home listening device to put on the Rob Zombie Cribs episode and check out his house. Fuck yes.